Hey, um, we're in part two of this series called Moral Mayhem. And if you weren't with us last week, um, you can actually catch part one um, on our website, Grace Point Topeka, or the YouTube channel, um, or you can also subscribe to our podcast if you would like to catch up. Um, we're also creating some small group uh, material that you can go through this series and talk about this. Um, a, a lot of you are going to walk away today with a lot of questions, and that's partly my fault, okay? But you also, you also have some questions that you would like to wrestle with, you'd like to talk about, um, in, in a group of people. And that's what that small group guide is for. You can find that on our website. Um, you can do it with your small group. You can do it as a couple. You can do it with family. You can do it with coworkers. You can do it with whatever. So there's multiple ways to um, engage with this series as we go throughout. But um, the, the kind of the, the, the driving force behind this, of obviously besides scripture, is this unspoken underbelly of the American dream that I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. Like that's, that there's something in us that just says that's, that's the way to freedom, that's the way to happiness, that's the way to autonomy, whatever it is. But you'll notice there's some fine print. There's an asterisk, right? Because we'll say I, I can do what I want, when I want, with who I want, as long as it doesn't, what? Hurt anybody, yeah. And as we discovered last week, you actually can't live like this for very long without hurting somebody. You can't live this way for very long without hurting you. And you are somebody. Somebody just look in the mirror and tell yourself that. I am somebody, right? You are somebody. But it doesn't stop with you, though. Because if, if you've got parents who are, still, who are still alive, you can't hurt you without hurting your parents. If um, you're married, you can't hurt you without hurting your spouse. If you've got kids, you can't hurt you without hurting your kids. So it doesn't stop with us. It moves to the people that we love. This idea of, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, as long as nobody gets hurt, that's actually a myth. It doesn't work. And as we saw last week, it's exactly what we saw. We've centered this series on the Old Testament book of Judges, which is the story of the nation of Israel continually deciding to do what they wanted, when they wanted, with whoever they wanted. And they, they, they found themselves learning this lesson the hard way, that you can't do this for too long without hurting yourself. Now, you'll remember, the events of Judges takes place between the time that Joshua died. Joshua was the leader after Moses. Um, so it happened in this 300-ish year um, period between the time that Joshua dies and the time that Israel becomes a monarchy. monarchy. Um, things were fine when Joshua was alive. They were conquering nations around them like God told them to, like God promised they would. They're, they're thriving in the promised land. And then at the end of this three, or in, during this 300-year period, we talked about this cycle that they went through, the cycle of disobedience, disaster, deliverance. But they would disobey what God's law clearly told them to do. They, they knew what God's law said. This is what you were supposed to do. They would disobey it. They would face some kind of disaster that was usually brought on by themselves. And then they would cry out to God for a deliverer. And God would send a deliverer or a judge. Don't think, you know, black robe sitting on a bench, you know, handing out judgments, but more of a deliverer, these men and women that God would send to deliver the nation of Israel 
from their enemies. And then you come to the very last statement. It's kind of haunting. When you, when you see it in context of all that happens to the book of Judges, the very last statement, the very last verse in the book of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whoever they wanted. Your, your translation might say, um, they, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They approached life by saying, you do what you want to do. You do what you think is right. I'm going to do what I think is right. And don't tell me what I think is right is wrong. And I'm not going to tell what you, what you think is right is wrong. You do your own thing. When there is no moral consensus, no binding moral consensus, everybody follows their own moral compass. And that's what happened. And at the end of the book of Judges, it's a complete disaster because the difference between us and them is they never, they, they never said to ourselves, I'm going to do what I want when I want with whoever I want as long as nobody gets hurt. They didn't care about hurting other people. They're a little bit more barbaric than we are today. And the ending is just awful. It's tragic. It's grotesque. It's one of the worst stories in, in, in all of ancient literature, probably the worst story in the Old Testament. There's no hero. Nobody, there's no redemption. Nothing good comes out of it. It just, it, just, it just ends in this cesspool of moral mayhem. Today, we're going to look at the beginning of the book of Judges. And the beginning of the book of Judges is a study in contrasts from the end of the book of Judges. The, the end of the book of Judges is like Halloween 4 meets deliverance. It's just a terrible, horrible idea, Right? The beginning of the book of Judges is like the last night of church camp, okay? Now, some of you who didn't grow up going to church summer camp have no idea what I mean. But those of you who grew up going to camp, you'll, you'll know this. It's an important night. It, I experienced the last night of, of camp multiple times as a teenager. I experienced it multiple times as a youth, as a, as a youth pastor, um, the last night at church camp, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because the kids have just been wrestling. They've heard God's word all week long away from the distractions that are normally around them. They've wrestled with, okay, how do I apply this? What does this look like in my life? The last night at church camp gets a little emotional as they think about going back home and all the changes they want to make in their life. So um, the last night at church camp is when they make all their commitments, um, they, they make a commitment to go home and they're going to break up with their boyfriend. Uh, they're going to break up with their girlfriend. Um, they're going to patch up things with their parents. They're going to patch up things with a sibling. Maybe, right? Um, it's, it's, they're going to make a commitment. They're going to quit everything they've been doing. Right? And I'm not going to drink anything anymore. I'm not going to quit smoking whatever I've been smoking. I'm going I'm, I'm to quit sneaking out. I'm going to stop all of that stuff that's just been polluting my life. And it's sincere. I want you to hear that. It's sincere. I made some of those commitments. I was there as a youth pastor and saw kids who sincerely wanted to make those commitments when they got home. And it's, it's just a big Kleenex fest. It's awesome. It's pretty emotional, Okay. But beginning of the book of Judges, Joshua's about to die. Their leader is, is going away. And so he gathers the nation for one last conversation. And here's, here's how that went. This is a snapshot of what happened from Joshua chapter 24. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. 
throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is, this is ancient language for break up with your girlfriend. Break up with your boyfriend. Get rid of that hidden stash. Whatever you got going on that's polluting your life, get rid of it. Joshua goes on and on and on. And here, the people actually respond to him. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Don't worry, Joshua, when you're gone, we're going to keep our commandments. When we get home, I'm all over this. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery. Joshua, we remember what happened back there and perform those great signs before our eyes. We remember, we remember, some of us were there. We walked through the Red Sea, the, I mean, we, 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 we remember, we understand that God provided for us every single day, our daily bread. Some of us, we remember our parents and our grandparents telling us the story. We never want to experience what our ancestors experienced back in Egypt. And then they said, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. We're all in, Joshua. We're all in. God is our king. We're going to follow his law. You don't have to worry about us one bit. <laughs> and if you read the text, if you read what Joshua says, it's almost like he taunts them. And it's either taunting or reverse psychology, or he just knows the human condition. Because he says, no, you won't. No, you won't. You're not going to follow through on your commitment. You're going to go home and you're going to go right back to all the stuff that you just committed not to go back to. And the people are like, no, 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 not us, Joshua. We're going to remain faithful. And Joshua's like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you think you're not going to go back. You think this is going to be easy. You think you've learned your lesson. You think you understand the pain and the sorrow and the trauma that went along with being slaves in Egypt. But I'm just telling you, you're going to go back. You're going to compromise God's word. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua finally says, okay, okay, I've warned you. You've made your vows. Now follow through on them. And Joshua died. And within one generation, of Joshua dying. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. One generation. Like the flowers on Joshua's grave hadn't even died yet. And they're serving, they're worshiping the Canaanite gods. Within one generation, they're doing the exact same thing. They, never, they, they said they'd never do. The thing they swore, the thing they vowed they'd never do. They got home from camp and went right back to all the stuff they committed not to do. And look at this. Look at this. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And you go, how dumb can you be? How you, you, they cannot be that dull. They, they looked around and they saw the different cultures. They saw some of the Canaanite practices and they said, I think we kind of want some of that. I, I, I like the idea of being there. It's, it's, this is just how it works in the land of Canaan, guys. We need to fit in. 
We need to do, we, need, don't, we don't want to be the oddballs, we don't want to be the strangers, we don't want to be seen as different as the people around us. And next thing you know, they abandon God, they abandon his law, and they immerse themselves in a culture of Canaan, one generation after Joshua warned them not to. One generation after they promised they'd never go back. Look at the, the last part of verse 12. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Now, Ashtoreth is the female counterpart of Baal. Baal is the god or the gods of the Canaanites. He's the god of agriculture. So rain and crops and all the things that they used to make themselves personally rich. Ashtoreth is the goddess of fertility and sex. And you got to have a big family. You got to have a lot of kids if you want a lot of crops, right? So all of these things. And the problem with idol worship wasn't simply that they were worshiping other gods and having images who are made in the image of that god, which was two big no-nos for the Jews, there's a lot of other stuff that comes with worshiping false gods. For one thing, when things got desperate, they adopted the practice of sacrificing people to Baal. When things got really, really desperate, they would sacrifice children to Baal. When things got really, really bad, there was no rain for months and there was famine, or when their enemies were encroaching upon their borders, they would sacrifice multiple children. In fact, there's one period of history where they required the richest people in the kingdom to sacrifice their firstborn as a way to get Baal's attention. And this became so real to me this, 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 this past summer when I was in Israel. We visited an excavated site in northern Israel. Some of you will recognize the name. It's the name, it's the city of Tel Megiddo, or in Greek, Ar Megiddo, Ar Megeddon. It's a city-state of Canaan until Israel conquered it. And as we're walking around this site, um, we're going to sit down at this, this place where we're going to do a little bit of just, just history and, and, and biblical understanding. And I go up over this ravine, and here's what I see. See that little round pile of rocks there? That's an altar. It's an altar where dozens, hundreds, thousands maybe, we don't know, but that's where they would sacrifice children. It's where they sacrifice children. They would kill their own children in order to get the attention of these gods. And, and the thing that's just sickening is that Israel conquered this city. Israel conquered this city. And that altar still stood. That altar was still a part of their culture, of their life. God's law was very clear. You can't be part of that. But within a generation of Joshua's death, the people of Israel have dipped into this terrible, horrid idol worship. Look at this, verse 14. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them. This is harsh. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Understatement of the verse, they were in great distress. God basically said, if you like Canaanites so much, go be a Canaanite. If you like the culture around you so much, go ahead and be a part of that culture. Go ahead and be conquered by the very culture you've copied. 
If you're, if you're, if you're going to abandon me so freely, embrace their ways so freely, you're going to lose what's most important to you, your freedom. You just said, just a generation ago, you said you remember the stories from Egypt. You remember how your ancestors were so excited to no longer be under the authority of a pagan king. And now you willingly, you willingly walk away from me and embrace the culture of the Canaanites if you like it so much. Have at it. And the next thing they knew, they were no longer conquering the nations around them like they were the generation before. They were being conquered by the nations around them. They forsook the Lord. They followed the people around them. And in the end, they surrendered their freedom. They forsook the Lord. They followed the people around them. And before they understood, before they knew it, surrendered their freedom. Here's the point. The thing we so easily forget, the thing we never see coming until it's too late, until we get into the cycle of, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. And you do that for a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, and all of a sudden, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh, I don't like this. And worse than that, uh uh-oh, I can't quit. Here's, Here's the lesson. Israel simply traded one king for another. They traded one God for another. They, they, they worshiped one God for another. They, and they, they did this to the point where they were no longer able to resist. They willingly, they chose to walk away from God and found themselves in a place where they couldn't freely go back. And it's not even, it's not even really worth saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Haven't we all experienced this in some way? in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you, um, maybe you grew up in church and you, like, you were taught God's word and you know the difference between right and wrong. You have a sense of God's moral will. There's a, there's a sense in which you feel like God speaks to you through scripture, through his people, through the spirit. Maybe you didn't grow up in an environment like that, but you grew up in an environment where your parents taught you the right from wrong and a sense of American values or moral values, however you describe that. But then there came a point in your life, a relationship, um, a decision, a season, your freshman year in college, um, you know, whatever it was, where you decided, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm tired of that. I'm going to do what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being good. I'm tired of following Jesus. I'm tired of church. I'm just tired of, you know, fill in the blank. I don't know how you said that. I don't know what you decided, but, but deep down, you just decided, I'm tired of this. Or maybe, maybe it wasn't a, a, an overnight thing. Maybe it was a gradual thing. You gradually decided that, to do your own thing. You didn't need a king anymore. You didn't need, you certainly didn't need an invisible God who never seems to be on your side anyway. And regardless of your upbringing, you woke up one day, or you will wake up one day, and you'll realize Uh uh-oh, I didn't gain freedom with this decision. I didn't gain freedom. My expression of personal freedom actually ended in my loss of personal freedom. You know what happened? You traded one king for another. You traded one king for another. Now, what I'm about to say may be a little bit offensive, so don't tune me out automatically, okay? At least think about it until dinner tonight and then send me the email, okay? Here's, 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 here's what we don't think about enough. You and I were created, which means there's a creator, 
which means there's a creator to rule over you. Here's the, here's the, the offensive part. You were created to be ruled. We don't like hearing that, especially in America. This, 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 this nation was founded on not being ruled, right? But, but nobody is completely and totally autonomous. Nobody. Unless you can predict when you're born, predict when you die and when you're going to die or how you're going to die or keep yourself from dying, nobody is completely and totally autonomous. Not only that, if you do get to the point where you're completely and totally autonomous, no one will like you, right? I, I, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Great Divorce. It's not about divorce. It's about hell. C.S. Lewis's version, description of hell. He says in hell, everybody can have whatever they want simply by thinking about it. You just think about it and you have it. And in hell, nobody can get along. Because what you want and what I want aren't always the same. And in hell, nobody lives anywhere close to each other. They all live out by themselves. They always get what they want by thinking about it. They get complete and total autonomy and everybody's miserable. That's, that's his description of hell. I don't think he's that far away. But see, you were created to be ruled. And when you say no to creator king, you simply choose a stranger king. Let me give you a couple examples. Some of you, you'll understand this, the king of appetite. I want, I want, I want, I want. And you choose appetite over God one day because you say, God, I'm tired of saying no. I'm tired of wrestling with this temptation. So I'm just going to give in to this appetite. And a few weeks, a few months, a few years later, you can't say no to that appetite because that appetite has turned into an addiction. You just traded one king for another, and uh-oh, now you're ruled by it. Insecurity. You want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. But where you work and where you live and where you go to school, where you play, that's considered kind of weird. That's abnormal, and you don't want to be treated as different. You want to be invited to stuff. You don't want people to stop talking whenever you come to the water cooler on Monday morning. You want to be seen as part of the in crowd. You, you, you want you, 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 all those insecurities in you rise up and you go, okay, I'm just going to play the game. I'm going to, I'm going to play the game of Christian around my parents and on Sunday morning. But Monday through Saturday, I'm going to do what I want, what I want with whoever I want. Do you know what happened? Suddenly the king of insecurity is ruling you. You just traded one king for another. Fear. Comparison, lust, don't have to explain that one. Greed, consumption, and then family history. Let's talk about family history for a minute. And this, this comes with doing what I've been doing for 20 years, but there's also some of this in me, so this is a little bit of a personal confession, okay? Some of you, not all of you, but some of you, you have a goal. It's unspoken, you've never written it down. But your goal is, I will not turn out like my father. And some, some of that's good, right? Like, I don't want to completely make that a terrible thing. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. My family isn't going to be anything like my family of origin. History will not repeat itself. And you don't have to believe me. You can write me a note a year from now 
or five years from now and tell me how mad you were and tell me how arrogant I sounded when I'm about to say this and tell me also how right I was. You just mark it down, okay? Just put it in the calendar. I'm not smarter than anybody. That's not what this is. I just see it. I just see it. When a man or woman decides to trade creator God for a stranger king, just mark it down. Your family history will repeat itself. It will. Your best bet for breaking the chain of your family history that you want so badly to break is not doing what you want when you want with whoever you want. That is how the family history you want to undo started. A parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent forgot to factor you into the equation. They didn't think far enough down the line to think this decision is going to affect my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. When you do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, your family history is going to repeat itself. And if there's a God who loves you, if there's a God who understands the power that forgiveness has to break the chains of the past, if there's a God who wants something better for your family, if there's a God who says, I want your generation of kids and the next generation of grandkids to experience something completely different, why wouldn't you say yes to him? Why wouldn't you surrender everything you have to him? Why wouldn't you put up your hands and say, you're the king, whatever you say goes? Why would you not do that? Saying yes to stranger kings is the recipe for your family history repeating. Because all those stranger kings, you know what they do? They tempt us. They tempt us with this thought. I won't. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to be my own woman. So just, you just tell all the people around you, I won't, I won't obey. I, I won't submit myself. I won't be morally pure. I won't tell the truth. I won't live on a budget. I won't do what God says. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. All those stranger kings tempt us with their motto. That's their mantra. I won't, I won't, I won't until you wake up one day and you realize, I can't. I can't stop. I can't go back. I want to, but I can't. I want to change. I, I don't know how to change. I want to go back and I want to undo that. I want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to the days when I had a clear conscience. I want to go back to the days when everybody hated me, but I liked myself. I want to, but I can't. Because see, the stranger kings, they don't love you. They don't love you. They don't have your best interest in mind. They tempt you with, yeah, I won't, because it sounds good. It sounds right. It sounds American. Until one day you find yourself saying, I can't go another layer deeper. Think about this. Why is it that it's always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things you substitute for God? Why is that? Why is it we go, okay, I'm not doing that anymore, God. I'm out. Had it with him. Had it with her. I'm done. Or, or <laughs> Here's another one. God, I'm a freshman in college. Just close your eyes for a couple years. I'll be back. Why is it so much easier 
to say, God, I know she's not good for me. I know he's not good for me. God, I know I haven't got any business moving in. God, I know I don't have any business seeing her on the side. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want. Why is this so much easier to say no to God then? But now that you're in the relationship, now that you've moved in, now that she's moved in, now that you've got somebody on the side, now that you've got all your bases covered, you're so slick, you've managed the consequences because you got what it takes and nobody's going to know. And even if they do find out you've got that covered too, why is it that now that you want out, it's so much more difficult to say no to the thing you substituted for God than it is to say no to God? Why is it that it's more difficult to say no to the created thing than the creator king? I'll tell you why. Because the stranger kings are not merciful. They don't love you. <laughs> they don't want to just rule over you. They want to control you. They want to take away your freedom. And that is something such, it's the unfortunate part of this. That's something we either learn the hard way or the easy way. You either trust it and you lean into it and you put the foundation of your life on it or you do your own thing and you find out the hard way that maximum freedom, maximum freedom is always found under the canopy of God's authority every time. If you want maximum freedom in this life, the only place to find it is under the authority, under the canopy of God's authority. So at the end of this little piece of history, not the whole book of Judges, but this first round, here's what happened, okay? Here's how the nation of Israel found it, this, this lesson. They learned this lesson. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands, say this really slowly, of Cushan Rishathaim. Just say it like you think it's pronounced, okay? King of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. Again, God says, if you like the Canaanite way so much, go ahead and serve the Canaanite king. At least you could pronounce my name, <laughs> right? Yahweh, that's a lot easier, right? And for eight years, they suffered under, at the hands of a man whose culture they adopted. It's what they wanted. For eight years, they suffered under a king whose culture they embraced. They suffered under the rule of a king whose gods they chose to worship for eight long years. And at the end of those eight long years, they did what some of you have done. They did what some of you are ready to do. They did honestly what some of you need to do. They threw up their hands and they said, oh God, <laughs> We have sinned. We were foolish. We were arrogant. We were prideful. We went against the very thing you warned us about. We thought the way to get complete autonomy, we thought the way to express our independence would, would somehow give us more independence, but we realized in going after independence, we actually gave it away. We found out that from underneath your canopy of authority, we didn't find any kind of maximum freedom. We found the exact opposite. We were conquered by the very king and culture we copied. Oh, merciful, loving God, would you please take us back? 
And you know what God said? Yes. Because I'm a merciful God and you're still my people. And I will take you back, not because of you, but because of me. It's one of the most amazing things about our faith that's illustrated over and over and over in the history of the nation of Israel. That God is, number one, a God of mercy. But he is so merciful that he will not force his way on you. He will let you choose who you will serve. That's one of the things that Joshua says at the end of his speech. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He'll let you choose whether or not you want him to be your king. He will not control you. If God wanted to control you, he would have created you as controlled. But he didn't. He created you to be loved. He created you to choose to love him in return, something the stranger kings have no understanding of. And just as he took Israel back over and over and over again, he will take you back over and over and over again. But can you please hear me? Can you please hear the pastoral heart in me that comes out here? Because nothing's more exciting than celebrating the return of someone who's been serving the stranger kings. But the tragedy is, you can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. You can't reparent your kids. You can't go back and and attend all of the things that you missed. You can't have a first marriage again. Once those things are gone, they're gone. And, And that is the pattern. That's the cycle. That's what happens when we serve the stranger kings who care nothing about us or our future. So here's the bottom line as we set ourselves up for next week in our attempt to do what we want, when we want, with whomever we want. Understand, just don't be deceived. All we do is simply trade one king for another. When, when, when we choose to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, we say, God, I don't really care what you say here. Conscience, I'm sick of listening to you. I'm tired of listening to what I was raised as a kid to do. I'm not gonna do that anymore. When you put God in the rear view mirror, just, under, just understand, you have not chosen autonomy. You have not chosen independence. You've just chosen to worship and serve another king. You've just chosen to, to worship and serve another God. You've traded one king for another. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, it doesn't feel like something that we should necessarily thank you for, but thank you for this timely warning, for this startling reminder. God, for some of us, thank you for giving us an explanation. Thank you for giving us words for what we're experiencing in our lives right now. And God, thank you for being to Israel what you promised to be to us, a God of grace and mercy in Jesus who is more than willing to receive us back. His arms are open wide. And God, for the man or the woman who's sitting in this room right now, who's watching this at home, 
who's listening to it in their car, who's listening to it as they walk on the treadmill, who's listening to it as they walk their dog, wherever they find themselves. And they're on the edge. I mean, they're right on the edge of making a decision that they'll regret for the rest of their life. God, my prayer is that they would hear the tender whisper of your spirit. That they would hear the word that you have spoken today and that it would push them back from the edge. It would push them fully in your direction. God, that you would give us all the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the, the soft, fleshy hearts to receive, and then the courage to know what to do with what you've said today, the courage to walk away and to do it. And God, I pray all of these things in the name of the one who can give us the strength and the power and the wisdom to do it. I pray it in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, our Leader, our forgiver, our deliverer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you next week. You're dismissed.